Hi, welcome to Grace Intersect. The goal of this podcast is to help us have an increasingly clear understanding of grace. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer. Thank you for joining today. This episode is a bit of a prequel and a bit of a sequel to the previous one. If you haven't heard it yet, please consider listening to it before continuing with this episode. History is a great teacher if we are willing to be students. In the last episode of Grace Intersect, my wife Paula was left hanging on the other end of a very brief phone call, a call she always knew could come, yet trying to live as if it wouldn't. The lessons of history, when learned, are hard to ignore. Paula, thank you for joining us today. Every episode you participate in receives the highest ratings and reviews. (laughs) Oh, honey, I'd love to do anything with you. Well, thank you. I enjoy this very much. In this case, history begins in 2008. During that summer, I was immersed in family functions that included a wife and four very energetic, actively intense children. Somewhere in there was a home business that was barely staying afloat. The demands were as high as the desire to participate in every possible thing. Over the course of a few weeks, I think I noticed an increasing change in my ability to keep up physically. Maybe you know how it is. Little thoughts flitter in the mind that perhaps, probably not, but just maybe, something is going on that isn't good. Let's face it, it wasn't all that bad. It may resolve for the better, anytime. Too many demands meant putting it on the back burner, and frankly, we couldn't afford any serious health issues. So, may as well ignore and hope things go away, right? Then when it became apparent that going up the stairs was causing more difficulty breathing, well, that definitely wasn't good. Oh, it was allergy season. That certainly can have a negative effect on breathing, too, you know. It kept getting worse. Rest and resolve were needed just to begin the ascent of stairs. Finally, when very slow walking across a small living room was an effort, reality couldn't be ignored any longer. Do you know what it is like to deny reality? When do you share these kinds of concerns with your wife? How do you go about it? It wasn't a matter of Paula freaking out or not being supportive. It was about how much this was going to disrupt life and how much of a burden it would be on her and the children. My dad went through multiple life-threatening events with the health of his heart. Mom, siblings, extended family, and close friends, we were all intensely impacted by each one of them. Would he make it? If he did, to what extent? What were the demands of recovery? How much life redirection would be required and for how long? This was my train of thought as it became increasingly apparent to me that a serious heart issue was happening. Denying the reality of this would only make things worse, maybe even much, much worse. It was time, okay, past time, to involve Paula in what was going on. Paula, your life was a whirlwind during this time. As a loving, caring wife and a homeschooling mom of four children between the ages of 11 and 17, plus very close friendships, you weren't in a position to have your life turned upside down with more things to worry about and more adjustments to make. Paula, I have a feeling this discussion may be painful. I wish you didn't have this experience and the resulting memories. Hopefully others will be benefited from your sharing. How do you remember that time? I look back on that time and I see a complexity of issues beyond the health and all of them really go back to a root in understanding God's love and God's grace and trusting him 
I guess, honey, I just need to know, like, how, how deep do you want this to go? What? Mm. <laughs> I guess you can edit out something if I say something you would prefer I didn't. I think you need to speak your heart and share what you think is important. You know, maybe it's important to talk kind of deeply about how I saw your struggle, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. Maybe it will help others understand how this transformation of grace that you talked about in the last episode, um, you know, with that heart attack that came a few years ago, the one you just led with now happened many years ago. Maybe it will help kind of flesh out what a difference it really makes to come more fully face-to-face with God's amazing grace. So with your permission, I, I'll dig in kind of deep. Lay the landscape. Okay. <laughs> Whew, here we go. We, you might need to make this one two episodes, love. <laughs> I don't know how to do it fast. Well, you are a writer. You, you do have words. <laughs> Too many most of the time. I guess for me to set this up, I would need to go back kind of to the beginning of our marriage to say that a couple of things. One, I married you fully aware that your family had significant heart issues and that that might someday be my path. You are also still older than I am, and and I knew that could be a significant issue at some point and married you anyway because I loved you. And also because I knew that God had led us together and I had such a deep, profound peace about marrying you. I've said before that I think the first 10 or 15 years of our marriage was a lot about God working through you to establish me in my faith and to help me in in my healing. And you always have offered me unconditional love. And I needed to understand a love that was not based on performance, that was offered freely in grace. And you gave that to me constantly, those early years of our marriage. And it continues till now. You speak so kindly of me. Thank you. And to me. (laughs) But I also often will say in a more intimate conversation, you know, the first 10 or 15 years of our marriage, I think God was using Jerry to heal me. But then the next 10 or 15 years were more about his healing. So when you bring up 2008, that's where my head goes. I had had a very weird experience on New Year's Eve of 2008, like 2007, December 31st, where I was praying and really sensed that God was giving me a heads up that the next year was going to be difficult. I had married you with, again, full knowledge and and fear of the heart issues and the age difference and what that might mean impacting my life and our life and our kid's life. And I immediately asked the Lord if there was going to be a heart issue. I didn't hear a voice, a yes or no, but I I had a sense that, yes, there there were heart issues going on. And I asked him if he would die, and he told me no. But I didn't know what that meant and had memories of your dad, his open heart surgeries and knew that a significant episode with the heart could mean complete life change forever, really. So that was actually in my mind all of that year. With that context, (laughs) I'm a little frustrated with myself when I look back at some journal entries toward the beginning of that year because I had written at some point how pale you looked 
I think I had chalked it up to being tired or something. And I look back thinking that you had probably been becoming more and more ill for a long time. And I hadn't been astute enough to kind of confront it and ask you what was going on and push it. And you're getting a little, little better, but you don't like to worry me or burden me. So a lot of times I don't really know what's going on with your health, which I mean, at the deeper levels, like you said, you can wait a long time asking yourselves questions before you let me in on what's happening in your body. So I knew something was coming. I didn't know what it was. Also, during this time, we were really struggling financially. There were all kinds of financial issues with um, your business. There had been a downturn in the economy. There had been some problems with the parent company for the franchise that you were working in. And the money was really not supporting us anymore and not stable. And you were having a hard time knowing what to do about that. And that was adding a lot of stress to everyone. And meanwhile, Like you said, our kids were crazy busy. I think Sarah was 17 and and, uh, Seth was 15 and Stephen was 12 and Sam was 10. And they all had their own dreams and activities and things they wanted to do. And it was a very demanding time, as you said. So we fast forward to I had scheduled with another homeschooling mom to take at least the little younger two. I called them the little boys. Now they're six foot and six foot one. But I had scheduled with this homeschooling friend to go on a hike with the boys. You kind of casually mentioned that you thought you might see the doctor that day. And I was like, well, would you like me to go with you? What's going on? Would you? Well, that's up to you. And you didn't give me a whole lot of information. Well, Seth overheard the conversation and he took me aside and he said, Mom, if dad's going to the doctor, you got to ask some questions because he can't even walk around the rink when he takes me to hockey. He can't even climb the stairs. Something weird is going on with dad. Well, I'm very grateful that Seth told me that. Um, I sent the boys on the hike without me and I went to the doctor with you. The doctor sternly lectured you. (laughs) And did a a quick EKG, which came out normal. And then he said, Jerry, with with your dad's health history, because he knew your dad, he says, I don't understand why you're just in here now. This has been going on too long and you need to have a stress test. So you agreed to have a stress test and I set about setting it up with the hospital. But what I didn't tell you is we had no insurance. We had no savings. We had $1,000 left on a credit card that I could spend. And that was all really money that we had. And so I scheduled your stress test with the credit card, which meant we had nothing left. And when you asked about it, I said, oh, I took care of it. It was pretty expensive, but it doesn't matter, Jerry, how much it was. Let's not worry about it because I was afraid you wouldn't go if you knew it was a thousand dollar test. So when you went in for your stress test, they weren't able to do it on the treadmill because you were already so bad that they put you into a medically induced stress test, recommended that you quickly have an angiogram to see what was going on in the heart. There was definitely something wrong. What happened then is I I call it playing used car salesman with the hospitals because I started calling around trying to schedule your test. But the problem was that every time I tried to schedule a test at any of the hospitals, it didn't matter which one I called, they wanted either a credit card or insurance or cash. And I had none of those things to give them. One woman called me back on her lunch break when she was away from listening ears. (laughs) And she said, honey, I just need to tell you that you can bring your husband in through the emergency and they won't turn him away. 
And so she knew, as I did, that this was very serious and needed to be dealt with, but that the lack of resources for your health was getting in the way of doing what needed to be done. So I began to pester you, let's just go to the ER and have you checked out. I don't remember how many days it took to get you to the ER. I think I counted it up one time and it was like 10 days. And I know you don't believe that, but you're just going to have to because I'm pretty sure that was the number that it was. Uh, I was watching you deteriorate through my very eyes. We had a very boisterous household of active kids and just their normal happy chatter or the slightest argument or something would upset you and you wouldn't be able to handle it. You couldn't walk across the living. We have a small living room. You couldn't walk across it normally. And yet you were refusing to go to the ER. It was a really difficult time for me because I wanted to be very stern with you and emotional with you, but anything emotional upset you and made your heart issue worse. And so I was really afraid. How did I manage you without upsetting you and get you to the hospital? Uh, You weren't budging. (laughs) Meanwhile, I think you were looking for some kind of a program that helped people without insurance. I think that's what you were delaying. I think you were researching. Do you want to comment on that? Well, I was. I I was doing my own digging in for information that might provide a a way of getting the help we needed, the angiogram. There wasn't a whole lot available. Right. And of course, you know, I'm thinking (laughs) I could lose you and all you're thinking about is uh, how am I going to pay for this? So I won't comment further right now on that, dear. (laughs) (laughs) Just be glad I'm not. (laughs) Thank you. That really obviously wasn't nice or fair. And it's one of those things when you're in the throes of it, you don't, I should speak for myself. When I was in the throes of it, I did not pick up on how difficult that really was for you. I I knew it was hard, but I didn't know how bad. I'm sorry. Well, apology accepted, not needed. We've worked through this in the past, but thank you. And since you've been vulnerable, I'll just say that was sort of part of this whole season for me, not just with your health, but with the business and with everything. You were so overwhelmed by the magnitude of the stresses that you faced that you couldn't see the forest for the trees. You couldn't make clear, good decisions. I still believe that some of that goes back to the fear and the legalism of your upbringing, the need to be perfect, the fear of failure, not understanding God is your safety net to the degree that he is. And there were prayers that I was praying for many years around some of those things because of the intensity of my journey and some of the abuse and hurt that I had to walk out of. I had really done some deep changing and understanding the grace of God. And I just knew somehow inside that you hadn't grasped it yet. There were probably 10 years of prayers around your fears, around your legalism, those kinds of things that I knew that God needed to rescue you from. I would say that this time in 2008 was maybe some of those hardest years. If I was to put a word picture to that season of our life, and it wasn't just the incident we're talking about now, it was the loss of your business. It was the things that the children went through from every direction. There was storm, there was raging battle, and maybe we can talk about some of those other things at some point. But my sense of things is that you were stuck kind of in this barren field and you couldn't move and that there was a green field across a bridge. And in fairness, I'll just say that this was actually a vision during prayer that a friend of mine had about you and your life. 
you were stuck in this barren field, and I think we prayed at least ten years before you stepped onto that green field. And when I knew that I knew that I knew you had crossed the bridge, you had left the shackles of legalism and fear and pride and all those things behind was after the next heart attack that we talked about last week in 2000. Uh, what was it? 17. It's always hard because it was on the 31st. So I'm of December. So I never can equate the right year with it. But so that's 10 years from what we're talking about now until that beautiful experience in Saratoga that you talked about last week when you really came to grips with being the beloved son of God. So that's a lot to deal with over a fairly long period of time. How did you do that? I only share it, Jerry, really, because you've put out some really powerful podcasts about your now, what you understand about who God is and what his grace is like and what it's like to be the beloved son of God. Those are so powerful. And you also obviously had an understanding when we were first married or you couldn't have offered me the unconditional love and grace that you did. I shared all of that because those 10 years were a long, hard journey for you. And I just think it's important for your listeners to grab hold of this truth that, you know, we have these epiphanies, these wonderful moments where the Holy Spirit breaks in and teaches us something new. And those were happening through those 10 years. They were happening before those 10 years. You had had some of those epiphanies. You've talked about them in this podcast. But the living out of learning to truly rest and embrace the love and grace that's offered us it's a journey. It's not a split second. Maybe for some people it is, at least at some level, but I'm pretty sure even for, you know, that person who has this amazing, this date, this happened, I was totally changed. And I kind of have that with my freedom moment for myself. But after that came a lot of years of study and learning and walking out. I guess I just added all of that because I think it's important for your listeners to hear that our God is a gracious, patient, loving God. And he is continually leading us to that, we'll call it a green pasture for use of a metaphor, to that green field where we can bask in his love and we can feel truly unconditionally desired and wooed and accepted. But we have our own stuff that gets in the way of that. He never gives up. He just keeps calling us over there. And and that's why I shared that. You talk about having experienced unconditional love in our relationship. Perhaps this is where I have experienced unconditional patience, (laughs) which is an attribute of God. I believe that God knew when he put us together that we would help each other heal and change and grow in him. I've long felt that he used you and other people too to establish me more firmly in him before I was called to face the things that it would take for the blinders to come off your eyes. He was faithful to me. He was very communicative during that time. And there are things I really miss about that because he talked to me so much (laughs) during that time. And that's really what got me through was a lot of quiet times of praying by myself or with my prayer group, seeking his counsel on how to proceed. And for many years, my constant prayer was, Lord, help me not to say anything I shouldn't say, because I didn't want to slow down your process. And sometimes when I pushed too hard, you took steps backwards instead of forwards, but also help me not to be afraid to say everything I should when I need to say it. For a woman, that is probably one of our greatest struggles with you men is learning how and when to speak the truth you need to hear. 
That's why we need the Lord's wisdom, because we can say the right thing at the wrong time and it will set you back instead of encourage you forward. Or we can say the right thing in the wrong way or with the wrong attitude and it will set you back instead of call you forward. I think that's part of being in a marriage relationship is that desire to call forth the best in the person that you love and to that essence of who they really are that gets trapped sometimes beneath our failures and fears and questions and, you know, for you and me, legalism. We want to call that forward. And I take that very seriously. That's a huge responsibility. Our pastor always says it's way beyond my pay grade. So that was one of those things I was really seeking to surrender to the Lord all those years. So help me understand a little bit of how you experienced grace during that time. How did God's grace minister to you or support you through those experiences? Well, one of the things is I um, had kind of a tendency to always blame myself for anything that went wrong. He clearly told me not to. (laughs) He told me that this part of the journey was about you, about your healing, and that it wasn't about anything I had done wrong. You're talking about spiritual healing at that. Yeah, your your spiritual, emotional healing, which I think is connected to physical too. I don't know how it all works. I think it's all connected somehow. But yeah, I don't think I would have got through that time if I still had the mindset that I was just failing all the time. And that's sort of what I had lived with was an identity of failure, which is funny because... You know, I was voted most likely to succeed in high school and in college I was the outstanding senior, so I looked successful from the outside, but now that I understand myself better, I would say I carried an identity of failure. The Lord clearly said to me, this isn't about you, this is about anything you've done wrong, all the hardships you guys are going through, and really it's about helping Jerry find me and find his freedom. This concludes part one of Denial of Reality, Reality of Denial. Thank you for listening today. My name is Jerry Moldenhauer, and this is the Grace Intersect Podcast. As we process grace together, please know your thoughts and questions are always welcome. Comments may be made at the graceintersect.com website or by emailing comments at graceintersect.com. Have a great day.